Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Vitelli. Thank you for tuning in today. Our guest is Brian Alperin, who is a partner and managing director with Foss & Co, a firm specializing in the tax credit industry. And he's a timely guest as investors are now beginning to try to make sense of the new rules around the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, I spoke to Brian earlier this month and he is quoted in Infralogic's two-part analysis piece on the tax credit transfer market. Now that story can be found on our website. Brian, thank you for joining the program today. Thank you, Andrew, excited to be here. So we have a lot to get to today, but before we get started, can you tell our audience a little bit about Foss & Co? Sure, I'd be happy to. Foss & Company specializes in tax credits. We've been focused in this space for 40 years now. We're just celebrating our 40 year anniversary. And so really we help large institutional investors like large banks, large insurance companies and other major corporations efficiently access the tax credit market. We've covered all types of different tax credits over our history. Today, we're primarily focused on renewable energy tax credits, historic tax credits, and various state credits around the country. But I think for this conversation, we'll be focused on the renewables. Well, thank you for that, Brian. And can you tell me a little bit about your background in this industry? Absolutely. So I, I started my career in banking, commercial lending primarily, and I actually initially joined Foss & Company on the real estate side. So I was working with them on the historic tax credits. I was recruited to essentially underwrite those transactions on behalf of some of our large funds that we do for some of the big banks on the historic tax credit side. But in my past in banking, I did have some renewable energy experience with USDA REAP loans and others. And so as the firm was launching a renewable energy group out here in Denver, after about a year with the firm, I, I made the, the move over, left the Bay Area and came out to Denver. It was essentially the, the number two hire for the renewables group out here. My former boss ended up departing. And so I doubled down and, and stuck it out with renewables and, and have built a team here in Denver since then. Well, that's good to hear. And it's definitely an exciting time in the renewable space, and especially when it comes to tax equity and tax credits. Yes, absolutely. We've uh, we've been having a ton of growth on the renewable side. We already were, were growing at a pretty tremendous pace before the IRA, and the IRA has really just accelerated that, that growth rate. So at this point, although we, we launched the renewables group you know, relatively recently in the last four or five years, we're uh, over 60% of the firm's overall volume. And that's not because the other segments are shrinking. We've just been been growing at a uh, tremendous pace on the renewable side, and I think that will, will continue. So you mentioned the IRA, and it's been almost a year since President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which really kind of upended and really revolutionized the way that renewables projects are going to be funded and financed, including the tax credit market. Now, how dramatic has that change been in the last year? And re really, where is the industry in terms of this new world? Yeah. So when it first got passed, we had some you know, immediate impact from even projects that we'd already closed that were expected to be 26% uh, ITCs or investment tax credits. Uh, suddenly saw the tax credit amounts increase to 30%. And so we had a, uh, a busy time reopening a bunch of closed transactions and, and working through that. And we actually, for some of those, well, all those that had already closed, we weren't necessarily contractually obligated to pay for those additional credits. We did anyway. And I think many you know 
investors in the space did just to be good partners for those transactions. And then we saw the, the pipeline of, of projects that we were either on in closing on or had identified as potential opportunities for the following year grew substantially, not just you know because of the increase to the 30% credit, but also many of them qualified for adders up and above the 30%. And some of these portfolios of smaller projects saw additional windfalls like being able to include interconnect property in their eligible basis. So overall, the amount of tax credits on some of these portfolios, in some cases, doubled. And so we saw a, a huge influx of, of credits available in the market. We've worked through that for, for 2023. We, I think for 2024, we're seeing a similar situation, though, where there's, there's just a lot of credits out there. And so we're having to not only you know, deploy funds with our existing investors, but work hard at, at bringing new investors into the space just to keep up with demand from our existing partners in the development community. We've seen the the transferability uh, provision hopefully will help alleviate some of that and kind of you know even out the supply and demand allow new investors to come into the space more easily and and that's uh, you know we're seeing some of that that activity pick up now the guidance is out. So we have previously spoken at length about transferability but just in case some of our listeners might not be as familiar with tax equity versus the transferability market. Can you give a brief explanation of what the difference is between the transferability, between uh, tax transferability and traditional tax equity? Yeah. So when we say traditional tax equity, we're referring to the structures that have been traditionally used to allocate tax credits to an investor. So in these transactions, typically that involved the investor actually having a partnership interest and actual ownership interest in the underlying projects that uh, then allowed them to be allocated the tax credits. And we don't have to get into the details, but these are you know, pretty complex structures that were set up to efficiently pass tax credits to these investors in um, you know, kind of the most tax optimized manner. But you, you had to have a actual you know, partnership interest and it led to more complicated equity method accounting for for those investors that were investing in these. It also the IRS required you to have a certain amount of risk in the transaction to be considered a true equity partner. So we were, you know, it was when we were structuring these transactions, it was always a balance of mitigating risks in some areas, but making sure that we were taking enough risk that we would be treated as an equity partner and therefore able to, to claim the credits. This new transferability provision really, you know, is a new paradigm in, in how you could actually get the tax credits to the investors. So instead of having to be an equity partner, essentially in a project, you could now sell these credits the way that, you know, a certificated state credit might be sold. So you can take advantage of these transfer provisions to just sell the t- credits to a, a, a separate taxpayer and they can pay, they have to, you know, there's some rules around that. They have to pay in cash and, and there's some other restrictions and guidance, but they don't need to, you know, have ownership in the project. So it really simplifies the transaction, at least, you know, the, the accounting and sort of the legal structure of it. So you mentioned before that a lot of your clients are seeing a need for greater, more tax credit providers for more partners. Is, are these going to come mostly from more players in the traditional tax equity space, or is this going to come from people entering the space through transferability? You know, I think it's it's going to be some of both. We've you know certainly traditional players 
that are already active in the market may increase their activity. There's more attention on renewable energy tax credits these days, and they, they may be able to get slightly higher yields because of the state of the market. So that might drive them to deploy more capital, get approval internally for, for a larger allocation to be deployed. So some of these existing players may uh, you know, increase the amount they're deploying. That said, though, you know, we're also seeing some existing players that have taken a step back, you know, regional banks, for example, that had issues with deposits and things like that, that may not be as active as they were before. You know, overall, though, I think that the, the existing players will probably be increasing their activity somewhat. But I think a lot of the, the growth will have to come from new investors entering the market. And some of those will go the transferability route. We're also seeing some still choose to go the, the traditional tax equity route. So, you know, that's just a conversation we're having with, with new investors. And, you know, as we're go- working through the education process to, to help them decide what the right path is for them. So I think traditionally the tax equity market has been in the range of 18 to $20 billion a year. There have been some major players um, like JP Morgan, Bank of America, and a, and a handful of others. Projections I've read have said that in the coming years, there's going to be, need to be about $50 billion per year of some type of tax credits as the industry ramps up and takes advantage of all of the clauses of the Inflation Reduction Act. Is there any way that the traditional tax equity market can scale up that dramatically, or is it mostly going to be uh, transferability filling that gap? I think it'll be some of both. Uh, I do think there's room for the tax equity market to scale up. We have, you know, investors that we work with who, you know, they have billions of dollars of tax liability per year, and they may only be deploying, you know, 100 million, 200 million a year. So there's certainly room for them to increase the amount they're allocating. And for them, it's going to be dependent on how many projects they can find that are kind of the right risk profile and right return profile that are attractive for them. So, you know, if returns improve slightly and perhaps we have less competition among investors for some of the lowest risk projects, that will help some of these large institutional groups deploy more capital that, you know, they're comfortable with. You know, as as yields increase slightly, potentially, that might bring some, some additional smaller tax equity players into the market as well. Uh, for the transferability, you know, that's a new space. I think that will help fill the gap. It's still uh, playing out in terms of exactly which segments that will fill. But, you know, for example, with the PTCs on wind projects or now solar projects can, can choose to generate PTCs and, and in some cases that, that may be favorable. Those credits, because they're not subject to recapture, seem really well suited for the transferability. So we're seeing uh, a lot of investor interest in those. I think that's a, an area where we'll um, you know, likely, uh, at least for our activities, lean more towards the transferability. And you mentioned that when you're speaking with clients, you're having these discussions about, does it make sense to go the traditional tax equity route? Does it make sense to look at the transfer market? What are those conversations looking like? What are the pros and cons of transferability as compared to traditional tax equity? We are sort of a, a full service provider to these groups in that, you know, when, I mean, there's some initial education work, but once a fund is set up, really, we're doing the heavy lifting and they're receiving a, a, a K-1 at the end of the year with their tax credits. There's some conversations along the way, but we're trying to, um, you know, do, do most of the, the heavy lifting on their behalf. So for them, the, the transferability, I think the, the primary 
benefit there is, you know, it does does simplify the the closing process a bit, but it also simplifies the the accounting. So the gap accounting for these transactions can be fairly complicated in the traditional tax equity approach. And sometimes the the results that they're getting from an accounting perspective can can cause, you know, issues, volatility in their income statements, et cetera. So the the transferability simplifies the accounting quite a bit. I think that's, you know, kind of the primary benefit. And then, you know, for for groups that are coming in and are brand new to this, when they're trying to educate and and get buy-in internally, I think the transfer, there's a there's a perception that the transferable credits may be an easier um easier ask internally because they're just more similar to, for example, the certificated state credits that some of these groups are already doing. There's a little bit less to, to you know, wrap your head around with with the the complex structuring that goes into the tax equity. But I think the, you know, when we kind of dive deep into those conversations, sometimes investors are disappointed to realize that even with the transferable credits, you know, there's still uh, like on an ITC, you're still subject to recapture risk as the buyer. There's still a, a need for due diligence. So it's not as simple as just buying these, the like a certificated state credit, you you still have some some risk and there's still a need for, for diligence. And so sometimes when they, they look at the diligence that's going to be necessary and the risk level and say, well, I might as well just do tax equity and just and get a much higher return than I would get on the on the transferable credits. So you've mentioned recapture, and for some of our listeners who haven't haven't read uh, my article yet and haven't been following this discussion closely, that's something that has been a big topic since the IRS released its guidance last month. Can you explain what recapture is and when it becomes when it takes effect? Yeah, sure. So you know, for there's there's uh, various different types of tax credits within the Inflation Reduction Act, and each of them might have slightly different recapture profiles. But I'll talk about the the ITC, the investment tax credit, which is um, you know kind of the most popular tax credit that, that has recapture associated with it. And this is the the tax credit you know used in the solar space and used in some other renewable energy markets. So there's really three categories in my mind of recapture for the ITC or things that could cause recapture. One, and, and I guess just what is recapture maybe to start. So, so recapture, uh, you know, when the, when the investor is allocated tax credits, what I'm referring to when I say recapture is something that would cause them to lose those tax credits that they, they, they had essentially paid for, or they had invested in a project that and, and been allocated credits, something that causes them to retroactively lose those credits. And the ITC has a five-year compliance period, both for the transferable credit and the, the traditional tax equity, where during that five years, there's certain things that could cause you to lose you know, some or all of your tax credits. So those obviously are, you know, tremendous risks if any of them were to occur. And so we spent a lot of time thinking, you know, making sure that, that those risks are well mitigated. One thing that could cause recapture would be a change of ownership of the, the project that generated the tax credits. So the typical situation here would be if the project had project level debt from a lender and that lender foreclosed on the, on the project, therefore forcing a change of ownership 
that uh, could cause recapture of the tax credits. The, the, the IRS wants the ownership to stay the same for the five years. What we do in a traditional tax equity transaction is either just not have project debt, which is the most common situation. But in cases where there is project level debt, there will be a inter-party agreement or forbearance agreement that's negotiated with the lender, whereby they agree during those five years not to take actions that would cause a, a recapture tax credit. So essentially, they're saying, even if our loan was in default, we won't foreclose on the loan during those five years. That's the first one. And in the transferability market, you know, I think, you know, if, if we were structuring those transactions, we could still mitigate that risk. But I think there's, for folks that are new coming into the space, less familiar, they may not think about, well, I just bought this tax credit. What happens if the, the sponsor adds debt to the project next year and then that debt gets foreclosed on in two years? They may not realize that they're subject to the to you know potentially losing some of their tax credits. So it's it's something that has to be thought about and, and structured around on these transactions. And th- there's ways of doing that, but the point is you know you, you got to work with a group that can diligence and, and and structure in those protections. But it makes these deals a little bit more complicated than maybe the industry was hoping when the IRA was first signed into law. Yeah, there was a hope that perhaps the recapture risk for the transferable credits would remain with the seller. Therefore, you know, the buyer could could essentially buy these credits risk-free and not have to think too much about them. That's not the case. It seems to me that the IRS wants the buyers to do some diligence. And I think that's probably, you know, sort of a fraud mitigation tool where the IRS is having the buyers do some of, some of their work for them and making sure that, that these projects are sound and that the amount of tax credits being claimed is is real. Yeah, that's that's one of the three. The second thing that could cause recapture is the a project no longer qualifying as energy property. So, for example, if a storm came and destroyed the the solar power plant and there was no plans to rebuild it, it was just abandoned. That could cause recapture. So we need to make sure there's appropriate insurance in place, et cetera, to to rebuild. As long as you're rebuilding, uh, there likely is not a, a recapture. And then the, the third, which isn't exactly recapture, but it kind of gets lumped into this conversation about recapture, is a partial disallowance of tax credits. So if the IRS came in in an audit after uh, you know maybe a year or two down the road, they could look at this transaction and for some reason decide that you didn't qualify for as many tax credits as you claimed. So for example, they might disagree with your calculation of the eligible basis, or they might disagree with you qualifying for a certain adder. Etc. So those those um, type you know that the, the way to mitigate that is we have various third parties doing diligence to make to confirm that the project qualifies for all the credits it's claiming. Get a legal opinion, and we'll often put tax credit insurance on top of all that as as kind of an additional mitigant. All right. Well, thank you for that summary. So getting back to which which deals look for tax transference versus versus traditional tax equity. I mean, can you give an example of a deal where you'd say Hey, this deal really need really can take advantage of the transfer market versus one where tax equity is much preferred. Yeah, I noted that the PTC's uh, production tax credits seem to lend them well, sells well to this transferability market. So, if a wind project is claiming PTCs, it it may be a good candidate. Or if now the solar can claim PTCs, so these solar projects that that may claim PTCs could be good candidates for the transferable credits. In some cases, the ITC makes sense for, for transferability as well. It's, it's a little bit more case by case, though. I think where we're seeing it apply most often is 
situations where for whatever reason it's difficult to get tax equity in the in the ITC market, then this this transferability option can become a good good backup option. We actually are working on a sort of interesting transaction right now where we are providing a sort of standby commitment to buy ITCs at a, at a certain price. And the developer has an option to, to essentially terminate that purchase. So they're going to go out and look for tax equity and hopefully, you know, find tax equity at better terms, but they know they have this, this purchase as a backup option. And that gives their construction lenders comfort that there's some kind of buyer out there for these credits. So another big factor, it seems, is going to be who's able to get tax equity, because even in cases where the preference might be for tax equity, where there might be advantages, some we've talked about and, and, and others that we haven't, there's a limited availability of tax equity. So tapping the transferability market might also become a backup for a lot of these players. Yeah. So some of the large investors in the market have fairly high minimum thresholds for their transaction size, you know, hundred million or $50 million. And so if you are especially working on smaller transactions, you know, it may be more difficult to find a tax equity investor, or if there's something about the project or the sponsor that maybe gives tax equity investors some concern. So for example, we saw a project in in the ERCOT market in Texas that had you know some some issues with it. I guess uh, I, I'd say that that made traditional tax equity uncomfortable with that project. But uh, so they they determined though that you know if they were to transfer the credits, the the buyer wouldn't be as exposed to those risks, and so that was their plan was to to uh, to seek transferable credits. So Brian, we're running out of time, but I like to end my conversations in a forward-looking way. So we've had a really interesting year in the tax equity, tax credit market. I'm sure you look at where we were a year ago before the IRA had been signed. It's been, it was a very different world for you, for your industry. But looking forward, what, what is the main thing you're looking out for in the year to come? We're expecting, you know, continued growth in the solar and storage space that we've been very focused on. And we're also excited to see some of these newer technologies that are being supported by the IRA start to pick up steam. So we've been working a lot on things like carbon capture, green hydrogen. I think there's uh, emerging uh, players in the commercial electric vehicle and electric vehicle infrastructure space. There's a lot of exciting things, manufacturing. There's there's a long list of, of new credits that came out of the IRA. And so I think in 2024, we're going to see more of those starting to hit the market. And uh, so that will create an interesting environment for, you know, tax investors that they'll have more options for types of projects and maybe some some better opportunities. And then for, for developers, you know, I think there's still challenges with the cost of debt, supply chain, et cetera. But hopefully, as we see, you know, them more able to take advantage of these adders that are coming to effect, you know, we'll hopefully we'll get some good guidance on the low income adder, for example, and that'll help support a lot more projects being built. And, you know, we'll have the, the biggest year ever for, for renewables. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic right now. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's some risk that, um, you know, if, for example, we had a big recession, maybe that eats up some of the tax appetite for these, these investors and kind of further hurts the, the tax equity markets 
But um, you know, right now, at least, we're seeing a lot of investors still eager to, to pick up credits. We'll have to have you back on next year to discuss how some of these other trends develop. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining the program today. It's been a really interesting conversation. I think it'll be really useful for listeners. Thank you for having me. Always happy to talk about tax credits. And listeners, if you are interested in hearing more on this topic, and if you're an InfraLogic subscriber, please go to our website and read my most recent article along with Chuck Stanley and Kyle Yonker. We took a deep dive into this. The headline is News Analysis, Transfer Market Expected to Explode Despite Preference for Tax Equity. This article will go a lot into this subject, so it's worth a read if you're interested. Thank you for tuning in to Crossroads. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player, and please give us a five-star rating so that others can find our podcast. Until next time, this has been Crossroads. Crossroads.